Hi everyone, I'm Drew Damagawa, and today I am presenting a map-based project on one of the most controversial figures in medicine, Walter J. Freeman. He championed lobotomies in the United States and claimed they were a cure-all for many psychological diseases. Our first stop on this journey takes us to George Washington University Surgical Room on September 4th, 1936. The surgical room was bustling with pre-surgery anticipation. The back table was filled with the necessary tools to complete the operation, mainly a leucotome, which would soon be used to bore holes into the patient's head and remove both white and gray matter. Bottles of chloroform and ether were placed near the table in the event that the patient's anesthesia wore off too early. Soon, two men enter the room, one a neurosurgeon, Dr. James Watts, ready to perform the history-making procedure, and the other, a neurologist, the infamous Walter J. Freeman II, there to direct the surgeon's every movement. Soon, an unconscious patient named Alice Hood Hammett is wheeled into the room. The click-click of the weighted stethoscope alerted everyone in the room that the patient's vitals were holding steady. The surgery commences. Dr. James Watts takes the leucotome, repeatedly removes sections of white matter and gray matter from one side of the frontal lobe and then the other. Soon, the procedure is finished and this woman, who used to suffer from agitated depression, is now emotionless. This was the first lobotomy performed in the United States and soon ushered in a new era of removing emotions from mentally ill people by severing the neural connections of the frontal lobe to the rest of the brain. While the frontal lobotomy continued to be a popular treatment method, Freeman continued to experiment with less invasive ways until he finally found the solution he was searching for in his office in Washington, D.C. on January 17, 1946. Two people sit in an office. One is an extremely depressed housewife named Sally Ellen Ionesco. The other, the neurologist Walter J. Freeman who introduced the country to the so-called miracles of lobotomy. She just offered a new way to have this magical surgery and is soon rendered unconscious in this small and stuffy office. Laying on the desk is an orbital clasp, which looks more like an ice pick, and a mallet. As soon as the patient is under, the neuroscientist picks up the ice pick and maneuvers it until it sits under her eyelid on the base of the orbital bone. He then grabs the mallet and taps steps until he has broken through the bone and penetrated the brain. After some wiggling of the surgical tool, it is repeated with the other side and completed. The first transorbital lobotomy. In 10 minutes, this patient's mental illness has been treated. The patient soon wakes up and is sent home in a taxi. This revolutionized lobotomies because instead of being treated as a lengthy surgery, they were now an outpatient service that lasted a short time and allowed the patient to go home in the same day. He was soon touring the country and giving lobotomies to thousands of patients. However, these rarely left the patient feeling whole, and sometimes the reasons for having the lobotomy procedure are outlandish. The perfect example of this is the transorbital lobotomy performed at Doctors General Hospital in San Jose, California on December 16, 1960. The 12-year-old enters the room. He has lived an interesting life up until then. His mother died of cancer when he was five. His stepmom says that he is a delinquent, 
complains about going to bed than sleeping soundly, daydreams often and will turn on the lights when it is daylight outside. Howard Dulles' family was recommended that he received an ice pick lobotomy, as the procedure was nicknamed, and they consented. Freeman was touring the country, showing off the miracle that this transorbital lobotomy brought for mentally ill patients. On this December day, he repeatedly shocked the young boy until he was unconscious, then proceeded to insert the ice pick-like tool into Howard Dilley's frontal lobe through the eye sockets. After 10 minutes, it was over, and the only results of this surgery was that his eyes were puffy. But now this young boy will live the rest of his life wondering what is missing from it and why he deserved to have this fate brought upon him. Yet, this was the best case result of the operation. As with any medical procedure, transorbital lobotomies ran the risk of going horribly wrong and could even result in death. This came to attention at Lycan State Hospital, West Virginia, in 1954. Many lobotomy patients were the mentally ill since the procedure was specifically created to treat those with schizophrenia. This made Lycan State Hospital a needed stop on Walter J. Freeman's tour around the country. As he enters the room to begin his procession of transorbital lobotomies, the room is packed with people wanting to witness this new medical technique to cure the mentally insane. A nurse holds the patient's head as Freeman places the orbital clasp in the corner of their eyes and carries out the procedure. To some, it was hard to watch this man, who was made out to be a miracle worker, hammer what looked like to be an ice pick through someone's skull and then almost randomly moved the tool around to sever nerves, hoping that a vital blood vessel was not cut in the process. Unfortunately, on this day the worst happened. Blood hemorrhaged from one patient's post-surgical wounds until they eventually passed away. Although this would have been a major concern in modern medical practices, this did not stop Freeman from administering transorbital lobotomies until 1967 when his rights to practice were revoked because his patient, Helen Mortzitsen, died of a brain hemorrhage three days after her failed transorbital lobotomy. Even if the patient survived a botched lobotomy, they were often mentally handicapped and disabled for the rest of their life. The most famous example of this is at St. Coletta of Wisconsin on January 7, 2005. On this day, the feeling of death hangs in one room of the assisted living center. For Rosemary Kennedy had just passed away at the age of 86. Although her time there was mostly spent staring at the walls and every once in a while trying to create a ceramic piece, her story is anything but boring. As a child in the famous Kennedy family, Rosemary had an average IQ and was viewed as slowed by the rest of her family. After years of trying to catch up to the rest of her siblings, she started having outbursts attributed to frustration and hormonal changes. At the age of 23, she went in for one of Freeman's lobotomies to cure her. Instead, it went horribly wrong when she became incoherent and unresponsive in the middle of the procedure. This horrifying mistake left her disabled and mentally handicapped for the rest of her life. She was sent to St. Coletta of Wisconsin in 1949 and remained there until her death in 2005. After hearing of these horrifying procedures, often done involuntarily on the patients, many will wonder why we should care 
about the touring of an unknown neurologist who campaigned for a medical technique that is rarely used today. The main takeaway from this tour is that the medical field has come a long way from previous views of mental illness and how to treat them. Many, including Freeman, thought that psychological diseases were caused by overactive emotions and the best cure was to cut off those emotions from the rest of the brain, leaving those previously affected with no emotions at all. If someone was suffering from a mental illness in the time of lobotomies, they were viewed as an embarrassment and locked away in an insane asylum. Both frontal and transorbital lobotomies gave families hope that they could be free of the embarrassment of being related to a mentally ill family member and the chance to be reunited with them once and for all. Thankfully, lobotomies fell out of everyday practice when medication to treat psychological diseases became approved for use in the United States. Gradually, mental illnesses became more acceptable as treatments increased and more research was conducted to understand why these diseases happened. Although we do not immediately throw someone into a run-down insane asylum at the first sign that they are mentally different from the norm, society still places many stigmas and prejudices on mental illness today. As science continues to understand more about the ailments of the brain, hopefully our society can become more accepting of those affected by it so that medical practices like lobotomies that removed people's emotions will never even be considered as a treatment option. Mm -hmm.